It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers. Matt, we have actual baseball that's happened. I don't even know where to start. We have like 75 things we want to uh, get to. We're going to, I think, jump into Chris Sale's velocity. Uh, we're going to talk about Bryce Harper and Pete Alonzo crushing baseballs. Uh, a couple of really interesting spin rate guys, some way too early data trends that are fun to talk about. Nonetheless, you want to start with Chris Sale because that's like the scariest I'm not the scariest. Some guys have gotten actually hurt, right? But his velocity trends are somewhat terrifying. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you're a Red Sox fan or a Red Sox uh, owner who just gave him a lucrative five-year <laughs> contract extension, there's definitely some reason for concern. Although, oddly, last night he pitched against the A's and was pretty effective. Um, at least if you just looked at the— well, the outcomes the, are effective. You looked at the—I should say exactly the, re- the results, the, r- the runs column. He pitched six innings and allowed one run. This came after opening day— against Seattle when he allowed seven runs in three innings and looked terrible. Now they one strikeout. Yeah, right, last night one strikeout. It was uh, it was the lowest number of strikeouts he's ever had in his start of more than three innings pitched. And the only two starts he's ever had that were less than three innings pitched were basically like when he was coming off injury yeah. and was being limited to like one or three innings. So he had one strikeout in six innings. He basically stopped throwing his 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 sinker. He threw four of them and stopped. He threw twenty nine uh, four sinkers, 25 four-seamers, did not get a swing strike on either one. His 6.9 swinging strike rate, strike rate was the 60th out of 61 Boston starts in terms of lowest he's had since he came to the Red Sox. Um, but he was actually limiting hard contact, sort of. The 33% hard hit rate was right in the middle of the pack. So he basically was becoming became a junk baller last night and was effective. But if you're looking at the velocity, man, last night... Um, if you combine his four-seamer and sinker, the uh, average velocity of 89.3 miles per hour was the lowest he's ever had in a start. And thus far in April, his average sinker velocity, granted it's only two starts, is the lowest he's ever had in any calendar uh, calendar month. Now, if you want to look for good news, quote-unquote good news, he's had blips like this before where he's seen drop in velocity. It's often been in April. Yeah. So this is not unheard of for him, but this is the lowest it's ever been. This is the thing that happens to a lot of pitchers, right? You are, you know, not fully worked up to full speed yet. It's cold in some places. Like, you know, he's been in uh, the first start was in Seattle. It wasn't exactly a warm day. So if you look at his lowest average fastball velocity uh, in any game uh, over his career, you know, 89.3 yesterday, which was the lowest. So that's bad. But if you look at the five lowest games, three of the five have come in April. Right. So I think that there's something to that. Um, he's also talked about wanting to be ready for like, you know, the full season, not just blowing it out in day one. I'm like in the middle between this is terrifying and scary. And also uh, Chris Sale without his fastball still got through six innings on <laughs> one run. Like that's kind of cool. Um, I'm not ready to like throw up the red flag yet, but I guess it's more of a thing to watch. Like, if this continues to happen, uh, I don't think even Chris Sale can be a great pitcher at 89 miles an hour. No, I mean, it's, it's sort of it's, I mean, it kind of reminds me of what we've seen with Bumgarner, right, where he's sort of lost that velo and he's still kind of managed to be effective because he's got the arm angle but he's just he doesn't I'm out. instill the fear that yeah. uh, I'm still I'm still in on Chris Sale I'm out on Baumgartner Cody Bellinger 
destroyed a Grand Slam off him last uh, night. That's true. One, one sort of interesting thing I noticed when looking at his uh, sales baseball reference page, and I'm not really trying to put much uh, stock in spring training stats, but I will say in spring training, he looked great. He threw nine innings. He struck out 13. He walked one. His, you know, they do a, a opponent's quality metric, and his was like 8.5 out of 10, which is basically like he was basically facing four A guys, major leaguers. Granted, it's a, it's a, it's a tiny sample at spring training, so I'm not putting any stock in it per se. It's just notable that, like, in spring training, he looked like Chris Sale, and no one was really – there were no real red flags. He's always had these velocity dips. You know, the Red Sox certainly felt good enough to give him a huge contract extension, and they theoretically know more than us. But, yes, I think that, like, if come May 15th he's still throwing 90, we should be concerned. But if he's up to 92, 93 again, and he's, I, could, I could see, you know, I think we can sort of at least pump the brakes a little on the panic, uh, at least for this year. It's funny, you know, we spent all this time all winter talking about how the Red Sox didn't really do much to their bullpen, right? Like, Joe Kelly went to the Dodgers, Kimbrell's still a free agent, they didn't really add anybody. Um, panic over the bullpen. The Red Sox starting rotation so far has allowed a 449 weighted on base, that's the worst in baseball, and even 9 ERA, that's the worst in baseball, and 12 home runs allowed, that's the most in baseball. Now, Chris with a K. Davis is a juggernaut. Domingo Santana is crushing baseballs. And these aren't exactly like high-powered offenses, I guess. Um, but I'm more worried about the rotation than the bullpen right now. And if you look at, I mean, this is, I guess, off the topic of the Red Sox. They're off to a bad start. The Yankees, everyone's injured. Tampa Bay Rays, 2019 American League East Division champions because they look awesome so far. Uh, yeah, they certainly look like they have the best uh, rotation in, the, yes. in that division. You mentioned the home run sales already giving up home, four home runs this year. He gave up 11 all of last season. So that's bad. Yes. That's bad. Um, Bryce Harper has been so much fun to watch. The Phillies are off to a really fun start. Uh, Bryce Harper in his first four games. Like, I know it's silly to say slash lines in four games, but here we are. Hitting 429, 556, a slugging percentage of over 1,200. He has two of the 10 Hardest hit balls by exit velocity in 2019 so far. Uh, on March 30th, he hit a home run off of Jesse Biddle, 113.7 miles an hour. On March 31st, he hit a home run off of Shane Carl, 113.6 miles an hour. Those two are the third and fourth hardest hit home runs of the season. And two of his home runs have actually been two of his five longest tracked home runs since StatCast came online in 2015. The one on March 30th went 465 feet. That was his second longest ever. The one uh, last night uh, against the the Nationals went 458 feet. That is his fifth longest ever. <laughs> Off to a good start, Bryce Harper. And, and the bat flip went about uh, 420. Oh my God, the bat flip. I, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised that he got booed so hard. Like, I guess you come to expect that. But some of the signs I saw where they're actually like calling him a snake and a traitor, like, the Nationals did not make him an offer anywhere near what the Phillies did. Why would in the world would he not have taken and, that? And if, you, if the recent Washington Post story is to be to, to be believed, Harper really wanted to stay with the Nationals yeah. and was kind of waiting for, for it to happen. I got to say, I love everything about what has happened with the uh, with Harper and the Nationals and the Phillies. I think it's so awesome. Last night, there was all these Phillies fans. They were out in right field. I mean, this is like, this is, I can't remember a free agent ever going to a new place and immediately sort of like having this kind of impact, not just on the field, but in terms of like the the fan base just latching onto him and creating this rivalry. This is what we've seen in the NBA. This is kind of like when, you know, LeBron went to the Heat and sort of like the, this sort of this this instant villain like love yeah, villain thing turn. happened. But it, I think it's 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 fantastic. I, you know, Harper's looks looks as good as he's ever done. Granted, he's always amazing in April. Uh, David that Adler, is true. Yeah, David Adler did a piece uh, about this the other day. It's like it's 
like four of his five best months in his career or April. I'm like something like that. You know, it's by far his highest um, OPS month. He's always been able. This is not to say that he's some sort of late season choker or anything. It just happens to be that he generally gets out of the gate really strong. I saw this tweet, and I, I think this was from Mark Kerrig of the Athletic, but I might be wrong about that. Basically, comparing Bryce Harper to Hollywood Hulk Hogan, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like when he went from being a hero to like a total heel turn. I'm like, that is perfect because you're right. It was really fun um, to see like all the energy in that park, and then he you know struck out a couple times and then crushes that home run, goes out and like salutes the Phillies fan in the outfield. Like that was, that was great. And then I mean. I mean, the Nats now they've got to they got to face them what seventeen more times and well if you if you multiply that over thirteen years <laughs> that's a lot of times um, and then they've got Trey Turner's here now yeah why bunt don't bunt yeah Trey Turner he, Trey Turner was hitting home runs yeah I mean like against the Mets over the weekend he had two homers and like six stolen bases it was like hey is this guy gonna go forty forty like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh, um it's about the Nats are um off to a little bit of a rough start and this the the you know whatever you know. You, you, however much weight you want to put on, like vibes right now, the vibes in Philly are pretty great, and DC they're pretty low. Harper also had uh, this is interesting data. I thought on opening day, he had a throw home, he didn't get the runner at the plate, but it was a really good throw. And the fact that it was on target uh, was important because it allowed J2 or Muto to get the runner Marquecas at second base. That throw was tracked from Harper at 94.3 miles an hour. That would have been his sixth hardest throw of the entire 2018 season, and that seems like a big deal. You know, we, we're going to talk about his defense a lot this year. I think he hasn't actually had any tough plays uh, to worry about, but I think we're going to find that his defense is not quite as bad as the metrics had it last year. And I think that's going to be true also for the entire Phillies, like the Phillies defense last year. I know we talked about this a lot, an absolute disaster. So that's going to be better this year. And if you look at their lineup so far, it's not just Bryce Harper. I don't think anyone's noticed what Michael Franco has been doing. Oh my God. Uh, Three home runs already. He's been on base 70% of the time. That's a 706 on base percentage, uh, a 793 weighted on base. Andrew McCutcheon's looked really good. Two home runs, uh, 556 slugging percentage. And my favorite early season slash line of the entire season so far, Reese Hoskins hitting 182. That's bad. 471 on base. 545 slugging. That's a 440 weighted on base. That's really, really good. But depending on your outlook on these things, he's either off to a very slow start or a red hot start. And I think the correct answer is red hot start. Uh, John Segura also off to a good start. The Phillies seem like they're mostly for real. The bullpen's been like kind of okay. Uh, But all I really want to do is just watch that team hit like all the time because that lineup is just full of fun. And uh, I think I don't want to say they're the favorites. But maybe they are. I mean, right I mean, the now, Mets are off to a good right, start right too. Right now, they're the uh, they're uh, they're probably the favorites. But the the Mets. That's a good segue. Pete Alonso, who has also been off to a pretty uh, Pete Alonso, pretty, pretty interesting start to his career. Uh, this is one of my favorite stats. I saw tweeted out the other day by uh, Devin Fink. Um, batted balls with an exit velocity of 112.5 miles per hour or greater. The 2018 Mets three. 2019 Peter Alonso two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> so he's already kind of, you know, we've seen this with other guys who've come up, um, you know, when, when like Aaron Judge came up um, and, there's, you know, just he just hits the ball harder than most dudes. And he's added an element of like excitement. And uh, he hit a home run, his first career home run the other day off of uh, Drew Steckenrider. That was a uh, pretty, pretty majestic uh, 444 feet to dead center field. Is that your favorite home run of the season so far? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I have a favorite home run of the season. It's not this one, but that this one's up there. Um... Yes, I think so because when he when he when he hit it, I was watching and I had an audible mercy in my living room, <laughs> and my wife mocked me. She was like, "What are you saying mercy about?" I was like, "You got to see this. This is as hard as anyone can hit a baseball, basically." My favorite home run of the season, and unfortunately, I don't have the numbers in front of me because I didn't think about this till 
minutes now, uh, was Yandy Diaz hitting that low laser of a line drive. And I'm just going to estimate the numbers because I don't remember. It was something like 112 miles an hour and like 19 degrees of launch. I think it was 17 degrees. Yeah. And there was only like six home runs all of last year that were 17 degrees out to center. It was dead center and it barely got like 10 feet off the ground. That's like the perfect Yandy Diaz because I was thinking about that. You know, we talked a lot. Hits the ball hard. It's a lot of ground balls, right? I don't need him to become like a, you know, Ryan Schimpf majestic moonshot guy. He doesn't have to have like the right. highest. Yeah. <laughs> Let's remember a guy. Right. He doesn't <laughs> have to have the fly, the highest fly ball percentage in baseball. He just needs to hit slightly fewer ground balls because he doesn't have to get it that high off the ground um, to hit lasers. But back to the Mets, they're off to a good start. Pete Alonso, uh, you know, I, I saw you have a note here. The uh, the best home run seasons by a Met. You think he's going to got a shot to break this record here? Um, you know, I think that the odds of him hitting 40, more than 40 home runs in a season are pretty, are, are, I mean, as high as you could put on a, on a, on a rookie, you know, it's, he, he has the profile, you know, we've talked a little bit, maybe like a Mark Trumbo comp thing about him versus Trumbo is he walked in the minors that Mark Trumbo ever did, but Mark Trumbo still ended up having a couple of, like, productive seasons where he... I'm trying to see what his career in home runs was. He had 47 home runs in 2016, so I think, like, right now, I, I sort of see, like, Mark Trumbo as kind of, like, the floor of what P. Alonzo will be, and you know, there's not that many players with that profile. The right right first baseman is pretty rare. Most of them who stick around are really good because to, to, to stick survive around... To as a righty-righty first baseman like you, that. You kind of have to be really yeah. good. I mean, you know? we always think about Paul Goldschmidt, right? Yeah. Like, but I think, you know, the, the probably like the high end comp is more like, you know, Eric Karros or then the, the level. You got Eric Karros and the level above that is Paul Konerko and the level above that is Mark McGuire. Right. So it's like I'd say maybe somewhere between Karros and Konerko is what you're kind of hoping for at this point, because to put a Paul Konerko comp on a rookie is pretty high. So I'd say you could hope for more than Karros. And like if you're lucky, you get Konerko. Only because you just mentioned uh, Mark Trumbo. The Orioles are four and one. Chris Davis doesn't have a hit, hasn't had a hit since last September, and he got intentionally walked the other night, which is insane to me. No, it was last night when he was over 12 with seven strikeouts. Yeah, well, that's maybe the most ludicrous decision of the entire year. But the Orioles are four and one. It's not going to last. I don't care. It's fun. Like, we got a chance to talk about the Orioles for a minute because I didn't think we were going to do that maybe at all this year. So here's to you, Orioles, <laughs> four and one. Um, there were a couple of really interesting, I think, stat cast uh, pitching moments. Like we kind of always like to find these new guys and see, you know, do we learn anything about their movement or their spin rate or anything? And one guy I was already excited to look at was Trent Thornton because he was in the Arizona Folly last year. And he popped up as having some really impressive curveball spin numbers. And he made his major league debut for the Jays, and you'll be very unsurprised to know that a guy with high curveball spin came from the Astros. He was traded for Aledmus Diaz in the offseason. So in his first game, in his Major League debut, Trent Thornton had eight strikeouts. That is the most for a Blue Jay pitcher ever in their Major League debut. Previously, Matt Boyd had seven, and Mark Sipsinski also had seven. He is the second pitcher in MLB history to have at least eight strikeouts, no runs, no walks, and two hits or fewer in his debut. That's really good. And the curveball spin was phenomenal. It is currently at an average of just over 3,000 RPM. That is fourth in baseball. And if you had to guess, like, who the top three guys in curveball spin would be, sometimes, like, you don't need a lot of uh, sample to, to see these names, right? You will be shocked to know that number one on the curveball spin list is Ryan Presley. You will be shocked to know that number two is Seth Lugo. And you'll be shocked to know that number three 
is Tyler Chatwood. Uh, that does not obviously correlate exactly to success. Chatwood hasn't been any good at all. But there's Thornton, number four. Those are pretty cool names. and I, I, It's interesting to see, like, he got off to a good start. And that spin seems legit. Yeah, no, the uh, the Blue Jays are, are definitely a team kind of in transition. There may not be a team more in transition right now than the Blue Jays, um, just because, like, you know, the Orioles are clearly rebuilding. And the Blue Jays still have some of, like, their guys, but they're clearly trying to, like, move towards the uh, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette era, like, Thornton era. Yeah. Um, they they and, made some weird tra- moves yesterday. Like, so they traded Kevin Pillar and then extended Randall Grichuk for five years, yeah, which but, is kind of surprising. Although he's buying out three free agent years. And it was like fifty-two million in total, so it's yeah. pretty modest to be like, "Hey, this guy hits the ball hard; he can play." It's like a decent outfield. Yeah, it's, it's it's more just like, okay, let's like kind of let's keep the floor a certain plays. Um, the other interesting name, and I think I had him on some kind of like pitcher to watch breakout list before the year. Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. So I looked back uh, between twenty sixteen and twenty nineteen, and there were thousands of games where a pitcher threw at least twenty five. Four-seam fastballs. On March 31st, when he had a really impressive debut, he struck out 12 and walked one in five innings. His spin rate on his four-seamer was just over 2,900. That is an insanely high number. It was the highest four-seam fastball spin rate that we've pretty much ever seen by a starting pitcher. There's a caveat to this. He doesn't throw a cutter, right? He throws a four-seam fastball. But after the game, Adam McCalvey asked him about it, and basically the result here was he said, uh, he didn't throw cutters today. Those were four seamers that just cut a ton. For whatever reason, his ball was cutting like crazy today. This is kind of the Carl Edwards Jr. problem, right? Where it's like, we know he throws a cutter, but he insists it's a four seam fastball, so we have to classify it that way. So there's like a huge grain of salt to this. Even if he didn't do it on purpose, that's the way the ball was moving. But either way, that's an incredibly high spin rate and 12 strikeouts in five innings. You'll take that if you're the Brewers. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, the Brewers right now, this team that sort of like is creating pitchers. Like there's these dudes who just like, everyone's like, oh, they, uh, me among them being like, oh, they need to go sign a starter this off season. And they're just kind of like, no, we're doing our thing. And they, there's, they, they, these, these pitchers, you know, burns among them where they're effective and they kind of are interesting and you don't really know who they are, but the Brewers kind of keep plugging along. I mean, they're going to have to, right? Because Knable's out for the year. Uh, Jeffress, I don't think he's come back yet. He's on the injured list. He'll be back soon. He'll be back soon. Um, but I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if Christian Yelich is going to keep hitting like the get, best version. They will, get, they will get Nelson back. I think he's making a rehab start this week. Um, yeah. I still they still could sign Kimbrel, which would make a lot of sense. I just hope somebody does. I'm kind of sick of talking about it. Honestly, he should land somewhere. Um, it's you know it's April third. It's too early to dig into any trends seriously, but that doesn't mean they're not fun to look at. So of course I wanted to see it. You know after the first half a week of baseball, what things look like, and some of these trends I know they won't last, but they sort of correlate with what we've seen in the past. Um, I looked at the five seasons now, including this year of StackCast, and if you look at all of Major League Baseball, ground ball rate is down again. It is down to 42.4%. It has dropped in each of the four years. It's down by about 3% from it was in 2015. Fly ball rate, which was 33% in 2015, is now 37.6%. And I think this is interesting, and not enough people realize this. When you try to hit the ball in the air more, you tend to find more pop-ups. The infield fly ball rate has gone from 9.5% in 2015, up and up and up and up to 11.2% this year. So guys are trying to hit it in the air more. Um, I think that's pretty clear. 
It does feel like there have been a lot of home runs, but home run per fly ball rate hasn't really changed. It's 12.6% now. It was 12.8% in 2016. Um, Now, obviously, we're comparing like a few cold weather days to a full season, so keep that in mind. It is interesting that when guys hit the ball in the air, we're seeing uh, a little more of a hard hit rate. So I just looked at hard hit rate on fly balls and line drives because that's really where it matters. And it has gone up slightly each year. In 2016, it was 44.5%, and now we're up to 46.4%. It's early, but this all tracks, right? Like guys are trying to get on plane, like we've talked about this a billion times. Launch angle is up um, kind of a lot already. It was 10.8 degrees in 2016, then 11.1, then 11.7, and now it's 13.2. Um, that's going to come down, I think, obviously. But this is all kind of the continuation of a trend that we've seen in baseball. Are you are you are you buying these numbers? Like I know maybe not to this extreme, but I don't think this is going to reverse itself. No, it makes all it makes all sorts of sense, and I think that also in terms of the infield flies, I think pitchers are are even kind of more adept at trying to almost like go guys into like you know working high fastballs, high fastballs up yeah. the zone, knowing that like that's kind of a a. Uh, a potential benefit. You know, they're willing to kind of take that chance and, and, and try and climb the ladder knowing that that, that could be the result they get. Well, since we talked about fastballs, let's jump ahead to another trend that we're seeing. Um, and again, it's early. Things will change. But I think we talked about how the, the usage in pitches is simply changing. And if you look at baseball early on, sinkers are dead. Sinkers are dead. Sliders rule. And I think that's because no one's trying to pitch down in the zone and getting ground balls anymore. You're trying to miss bats. Um, I'll give you a good example. Last year in 2018, if you look at the outcomes in terms of weighted on base of, of fastballs, so combining here four seams, two seams, and sinkers, 347, right? Well, sliders, it was 263. And curveballs, it was 269. And changeups, it was 291. And for fastballs, it was 347. And I think teams are starting to realize that. You know, we've talked about this, like Adam Adovino uh, and Rich Hill. Like, you don't have to establish your fastball. If your best pitch is something else, you should use something else. And so we're starting to see that. Uh, sinker usage has just collapsed, right? In 2015, it was over 20%. So far this year, it's down 13%. That may not sound like a lot, but that's thousands of pitches over the course of a year. Um, sliders are up to a almost uh, all-time high of 18%. Um, but four-seam fastballs are actually up too. So more four-seams, fewer sinkers, more sliders. That is baseball today. Yeah, I also think part of it is that, you know, there used to be kind of a strategy where you could, you know, the, the you had these single ball pitchers and it was like, okay, we're just going to put a good infield defense behind them and kind of play straight up and just hope for a lot of ground balls and turn them into outs. But now teams are changing the way they pick their infielders, often being picked for hitting ability and not for defense. And they're trying to shift in a way that sort of like isn't necessarily work with like necessarily quote unquote pitching to contact, right? You know, the shift is sort of designed to to gobble up when guys like either they're going to swing in the miss or they're going to hit the ball hard right into the shift. Whereas like the sinker, it's kind of like you're pitching to contact and it's just not a thing. As you mentioned, teams are really like built to do anymore. I, I think this is a very uh, underrated part of why Dallas Keuchel is having such trouble finding team because that's who he is, right? Pitch to contact, get ground balls, not strike anybody out. And that's just not as uh, appealing, I guess, as it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, teams want dominance. Yeah, I mean, there are some teams that like kind of have that, that, that profile and one of the teams that probably is a great fit is the Angels because oh, they yeah. have Simmons. Their defense and is great. Fletcher's good, yeah. So, like, that's a team that actually makes sense. But, you know, there's it, it definitely, when you think about it from this perspective, as you mentioned, it does kind of limit the markers. There's a lot of teams who just aren't kind of built that way anymore. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I found uh, a couple of pitchers early on who had very notable starts in terms of extremely low fastball percentage. My favorite one here is Jordan Zimmerman, right? He's just been a mess with Detroit for years. And I think for, like, two years, I've been thinking he's the guy with a good slider. Throw the slider. Don't throw the fastball anymore. So he has made 203 starts since 2012. And if you look at his lowest fastball percentage, four seams, two seams, and sinkers, 
His opening day starter of 36% was his lowest fastball start dating back to 2012. His April 2nd start, his 38% was tied for his second lowest fastball percentage start. And look at him. In 13 and two-thirds innings, one earned run, 10 strikeouts, one walk. It's, we'll it's like, I mean, I know, it's like it's oversimplifying, but stop throwing a bad pitch and throw your good pitch more. Seems like something guys can do. Um, He's also a guy that, you know, he used to throw 96. And oh, yeah, he does. Like, now he goes like 91, yeah. 92. Um, a lot of guys like this. So Colin McHugh just had his second lowest fastball percentage in 112 career starts. Uh, Chad Bettis has made 90 career starts. His first start had the second lowest fastball percentage. Adam Wainwright, we have 253 tracked career starts, not his total career number because he goes back before pitch tracking. Uh, He threw 31% fastballs on April 1st. That was the 10th lowest. Blake Snell, who was an absolute monster, just dominated the Rockies the other night. He looked so unbelievably good. Um, As I joked on Twitter, I told my three-year-old son his name was Blake Snell, and he said, Big Smell? which I thought was pretty fun. Uh, he threw 35% fastballs. That was the second lowest of his career. And uh, Trevor Richards, 37% fastballs on March 29th. That was the lowest of his career. So it's kind of cool. You're starting to see these guys lean into what works. Um, Blake Snell, like I said, looked really good. The Rays look great. Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado look really, really good. Uh, I'm unsure if what's happening to the Rockies is because they are in a great offense to begin with or because the Rays look that good. But I looked at the very, very early expected weighted on base for hitters, uh, as a team, you won't be surprised to find the Dodgers and the Phillies are the top two. 30th place right now is the Colorado Rockies. Now, Daniel Murphy got hurt. He was he was not hitting well before yeah. he got hurt. I mean, it was like four games, but like he started off the season really slow and then he got hurt. And he was supposed to be like their big yeah. upgrade. Well, and what's fascinating to me about this is so they started on the road, right? They started in Miami. Uh, they're in Tampa Bay now. They obviously were in Arizona for the whole spring. They haven't been in Colorado since last year. And I know we've talked about the effects of, you know, the Coors Field effects, right? Well, that tends to make them worse on the road because they play at home. But they haven't played at home yet, right? They've only played spring training. They, 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 right. They've only played in Arizona and Florida so far. So they don't have that to blame. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Rays have good pitching. I don't know that the Marlins really do. That is terrifying. Like, I liked the Murphy signing, but now he's out. Yeah, it's a month at least. I, right. And they just, they just don't have the bats. And they did not seem to do anything else to upgrade on that. And I think I think that's really going to hurt them because their rotation is really good and cool. Um, and the bullpen is interesting, but I think that's a bummer for them. Yeah, no, they're uh, they're, they're facing basically, as we record this, they're, they're facing uh, their former prospect, Herman Marquez, uh, who's a... Uh, no, they're throwing. Herman sorry, Marquez. sorry, they're throwing yeah. Marquez. They're yeah. th- but who they, they're facing... Uh, uh, for the Rays? I don't even remember. Yeah. It may be one of the openers. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, I think it's Morton. I want to say Charlie Morton. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of on the Rays bandwagon, too, since we're talking about it. One more uh, uh, trend I wanted to talk about, because I thought this was really interesting. We're seeing so many shifts already. Shift percentage hasn't jumped up that much. So I'm talking here about infield shifts, uh, which are three men on one side of the infield. In 2016, we saw about 14% of pitches. 2017, 12%. Last year, 17%. So that's a big jump. So far this year, 25%. That is a huge jump. 9.5% of the time, up to 15%. And if you haven't seen what the Marlins are doing, the Marlins are shifting 62% of the time, up from 22%. No team last year was above 39%. They are shifting on 89% of left-handed batters. What changed in Miami? Same coaching staff, same front office, like new uniforms, I guess. <laughs> like, I'm kind of surprised in a weird way. Like I would have thought that almost like Jeter would have been, Derek Jeter would have been like not over my dead body. This is not how we play baseball. I'm surprised they, a team with a, with a, 
uh, Derek Jeter in a position of uh, of, of influence would, uh, would would suddenly become like the poster children for uh, for infield shifting. I think I think my favorite thing I've seen on Twitter so far this season is uh, you know the new Avengers movie is coming out and they show all the people who you know passed away and it's all grayed out and it says Avenge the Fallen. Someone superimposed that over the uh, home run machine, which I thought was hilariously funny. So I have a, a change of of shift usage for all these teams here. Marlins are up a, a huge amount. The team that has dropped the most by about eleven percent is the Phillies. Which I found kind of interesting. They're not really shifting that much. And they talked so much last year about how Jake Area hated the shift. And my opinion was that, well, it's not the shift that's hurting them. It's just like the generally lousy defense. But it does appear that they're pulling back on that a little bit. And I wonder if that's because they simply have better fielders and they don't feel as pressured to try to put them in position or if they just uh, want to simplify things. I don't really know the answer to that. But I think it's I think it's kind of fascinating to find them at the bottom. Yeah, it may also could just be that the collection of the team has changed. They now kind of are built. They brought in a few like kind of like veteran established players and that coupled with the fact that in the first year I think they you know Gabe Kepler kind of got this uh reputation of maybe being like uh, a little micromanaging and being yeah. all over with these with with shifts and such um maybe they're feeling okay we've got Harper we've got McCutcheon we've got Segura it's we've got I've got Hoskins at first it's like a little bit more let's just play things a little more straight up yeah the, the Cubs are up by a lot too they are the second largest increase right now by plus about 30 percent because they talked a lot about how they didn't shift in the past and now they are yeah that was what the weird thing is that because Madden had that reputation for years of being sort of at the forefront of the shift with Tampa people kind of assumed the Cubs were a shifting team but in the, even in like their in their like World Series title winning season they were kind of one of the the, the least frequent yeah. shifters in baseball and the the, uh, the the rest of the top five here I find really interesting the uh, the three four and five teams in terms of shifting the most they're all up about 20 percent uh kansas city baltimore and minnesota so it's like okay orioles new regime you know it's like basically the astros regime yeah exactly okay that makes sense uh minnesota you know they're not exactly like a new regime now but things have changed the new manager uh and kansas city's fun because ned yost has i think been the most vocal manager saying he hates the shift and doesn't ever want to use it now they are up um, by a big amount so that's kind of fun some right-handed batters who are being shifted more than three quarters of the time. Remember, righties. Max Stassi seeing the shift 87% of the time. Gary Sanchez, 84. Trevor Story, 80%. Eloy Jimenez, 67% of the time. I think that's that's interesting to see all the right-handed shifts. Um, I think people, every time I see someone go to the opposite field on the ground against the shift, the entirety of, of Twitter and broadcast booths all lose their mind. Like, it's the greatest thing you can do. And I think people have it in their heads, oh, this is happening more. Like, I think the Mets might actually be doing it more. That might be true. Uh, but overall, it's not. Percentage of batted balls against the shift that are going opposite field last year, 23%. This year, 24%. Big deal. Uh, also, like I just looked at it on grounders, unchanged. Nothing has changed there. I don't expect that it will very much. We did see our first four-man infield shift of the season uh, against Joey Gallo, obviously. It was pretty funny if you didn't see it. They had the uh, the opposing team had the first baseman essentially on the, the on the foul line. Uh, the third baseman was shifted just to the right of second base, and the shortstop and second baseman were both out in shallow right field. Least surprising thing in the world, Joey Gallo grounded out into the shift. So I looked this up. Um, how many times have we actually seen a four-man infield over the last two seasons? So mostly last year, a little bit of this year. It happened 190 times to 11 hitters. 134 of those times were Joey Gallo, and then 20 times Chris Davis, and then some negligible amount of times to other guys. Joey Gallo, by the way, has a has four walks and five strikeouts. I know it's early, but what if he ends up improving that plate discipline a little bit? Some, made, some, made some changes this year. I, people want him to bunt against the shift. I don't want that. I want Joey Gallo to destroy baseball. He, you don't want to see him bunt. And that's I mean that's sort of the point. Even you, you know we, we've talked about this a lot when 
you get a player to go against the shift, you basically won. That's basically the whole point. Said, you basically said, oh, I want to give up. If, if Joey Gallo does that, it means he's not having a homer or a double, right. right? So it's like, okay. I think Reese Hoskins had a quote on this, same thing. I think we, we talked like, about on the show last we week where he said basically like, you know, if, if you get me to do that, you've won. Yeah. And I think that's the way most of the players see it and pitchers see it too. I, I was thinking about this. If you went to Joey Gallo uh, as like a, a pitching team and you said, look, we're willing to intentionally walk you. Like, will you take that? Do you think he'd say yes or I want to swing? What do you think his manager would say? Ah, that's – well, maybe it's situational. Yeah. Okay. But I think at least some of the time Joey Gallo would say, I don't want that. I want to, I want to take my chances. So him bunting the other way is – so that's a guaranteed base intentional. But him bunting, it's not guaranteed. Yeah. It's – I guess it's hard to say what the numbers. Even if it's a 50-50 shot, that's still a pretty good deal for the opposing team. They probably take that every single time. Uh, no question. I mean, players are, are bunting is really hard. We've yeah. seen guys get hurt trying to bunt. Yeah. Trey Turner got hurt trying to bunt. Right. Like, it's not easy to do. No, so, it's, uh, that's another thing that people don't talk about when you bunt, how it like, also increases your chance of getting hurt. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly right. But I know all the beer league softball players are saying, oh, it's easy, just go the other way. Uh, and the reason they think that is because if you bunt once or twice, then maybe they'll stop shifting you. I don't actually think that's true. Like, I'm not sure how many times in a row Joey Gallo would have to bunt to make this shift stop happening, but I feel like it's more than one or two, right? Probably. And if he bunts 20 times in a row, the opposing team is stoked. Um, there are lots of games starting right now, so we're going to go watch them. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.